Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm happy to have another wonderful guest today who's going to be talking to us all about what happens when you lose your grad funding. I want to say like, dun, 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 because I feel like it's such a, it's such an important topic. Um, so our, our guest today, his name is Brandon Quintana, and I'm going to go ahead and get us started by reading his bio. Brandon Quintana is currently a master's student in the biological science department at California State University Fullerton. Brandon graduated from the University of California Santa Barbara majoring in environmental studies and is a McNair alumni. He aims to shed light on the he lend, ugh, he aims to shed light on environmental justice issues faced by marginalized communities and make academia a more welcoming and inclusive environment. Additionally, he wants to support queer scientists and advocate for community in a conference setting. For his thesis, he's currently studying how biomass and condition index of filter feeders are responding to different factors, such as sedimentation and eel grass in a living shoreline setting. The goal of his research is to use the results of the study to inform restoration management and better protect coastal communities while increasing habitat and biodiversity. Overall, he plans to use an interdisciplinary perspective to advocate for low-income communities on environmental injustice issues they are facing while concurrently preserving natural and human landscapes. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I really am happy to be here. Yay. <laughs> so um, I'm going to start the way we start. I would love um, for you to tell um, my audience a little more about who you are, your background, backstory, your educational trajectory, anything you feel um, comfortable sharing. Yeah, so I always like struggle with the tell me about yourself question. <laughs> so the first place that I would start off with is, um, so I'm from Los Angeles, California, specifically um, Linwood. And I grew up um, going to uh, Downey High, uh, to Warren High School, and then I went to Long Beach City College. That's where I started my undergraduate career. And then I transferred over to UC Santa Barbara, where I ended up majoring in um, environmental studies. And I really gained an interest uh, and need of wanting to like protect environments, but also um, protect people that are living there and experience disproportionately being impacted by um, climate change. And moving forward to my thesis, um, that's kind of where I am able to not only support these foundational species like oysters, but also um, figure out ways through education and outreach to connect with um, historically excluded populations that are not always in the conversation of science and bringing them in because they're the ones that are gonna be affected the most and kind of um, bringing down this idea, that idea that, that academia is just this ivory tower of scientists just telling people what they should do, but also, but making it more of a conversation. 
Oh my gosh, you went through that so fast. And I feel like, um, because I know you, um, <laughs> I know you from, from, you know, having like participated in McNair and, and uh, mentoring you. But one of the things that when I think of you, I always think about this. I think about how you've always been a huge advocate for diverse, for underserved, underrepresented populations. So whether it's, you know, queer students, students of color, low-income students, you name it, um, you know, being involved in SACNAS, being involved in OSTEM, being involved in who knows how many things you were involved in. I don't even know all the things. Uh, so I feel like you just like barely touched the surface in terms of how um, awesome you are. So thank you um, for letting us know a little bit more about yourself. And, um, and then we, you know, really getting into the topic of kind of what can be a bit of a nightmare story of losing funding like if you can give us kind of a little bit of context about what happened in your situation and ultimately what you did about it and you know I'll kind of um <laughs> I'll just say there is good news at the end of this <laughs> so that way people can listen till the end but I'm just curious if you can let it let folks know kind of what happened in terms of what led to you losing um, a major scholarship for your program. Um, yeah, so, okay, let me try to put this into a little bow and then I guess we'll talk about it more later. So um, when, uh, for the master's program at, at Cal State Fullerton, they award the top master's student an award, which is the Violet Horn Graduate Research Fellowship. And it's basically $10,000 that you can use for the second year of your master's program to support you. So I was awarded that and I was excited because for the first year, my advisor had, had some funding. And then for the second year, I was like, okay, I have this other fellowship um, and then maybe do some combination of teaing or being, and, or being like a research assistant um, to kind of supplement the two. And so, but you're awarded it before you come into the program but um, the only way that you get it in your second year is if you get an A in this class called um, basically Introduction to Grad School, where in one semester you build um, a draft of what you want to do for your master's project. And what happened was basically with the professor, I kind of felt like there was always something wrong with my assignments to where I would get a couple of points knocked off here for an abstract, a couple of points knocked off here for a poster or for um, a presentation where it came to the point where the, at the semester when it ended and the, we, the grades started coming out, what happened was I was 15 points away from getting the A resulting in me losing the fellowship and losing the $10,000. Um, and I went back and forth with uh, the department, the chair, my advisor, um, emailing, reaching out for support in all areas to kind of help me. And I wrote um, an explanation, uh, uh, basically a six page essay to the donor, because um, at the end of the day, it came down to him uh, based off of the professor, the grade that the professor gave me. Um, and the donor decided to, despite hearing all of these disadvantages that I had went through in order to be awarded this fellowship to begin with. Um, and I remind everyone that it's a, a merit-based fellowship, not including any of those disadvantages. So being awarded this merit-based fellowship um, on top of all of those disadvantages made it 
really even more meaningful because this uh, not um, taking into account any of those um, hurdles I had to face, um, I still made it out on top um, within all of the cohort for that incoming year. Um, and yeah, so that resulted in me getting the funding taken away. And even after fighting it um, for many months and a lot of stress, I still wasn't able to get it. Um, and that's kind of the short story of how the funding got taken away. Wow, um, that's a really tough situation to be in. And, um, you know, I, I can hear and I know I also kind of, you know, I heard from you during when that happened, but I, when you share about it, I'm like, dang, you fought really hard to try to keep that funding. And then I can imagine how disappointing and frustrating it must have been to have a flat out no after all that work. It's like you practically reapplied for it, writing six single space pages to justify why you need it. On top of that, you know, one thing I want to point out about merit-based scholarships is that I have a lot of conflicting emotions about merit-based scholarships because I don't actually believe in meritocracy. I don't believe there is such a thing as meritocracy when there is so much inequity in academia. So for you to get a merit-based scholarship, that's wonderful. But then for them to take it away, not considering your disadvantages, not accounting for that, not trying to be equitable, that's completely unfair and unjust. And so um, you know, I'd love for you to kind of, kind of keep going and just kind of let us know, what did you do next? Because ultimately you not only regained that funding by applying through other to other sources but you got even more funding so like how did you go from that from point a to point b because those are two very different situations it's like i i would have been so afraid and almost wanting to give up out of frustration but you didn't so let us know kind of what happened um yeah so in undergrad i was really um always applying to every single scholarship that i could because that's kind of what a low-income first generation student does um you try to look for the money so that you can continue doing the research that you're doing um because where else are you going to get it from it's not going to come from your parents um or it'll come from working but because you're doing the research you can't really work um so that's kind of um always been my idea for applying for the scholarships and uh fellowship program or research programs um so keeping that same mentality in graduate school, um, I had already had a really long list of scholarships that I wanted to apply to before I even got into the program. Um, Ooh, can I interrupt you there? Yeah. How did you find out about these scholarships? Because people ask me all the time, how do I find <laughs> out about scholarships for master's programs? So how did you find these scholarships? Yeah, so basically what I did was first look on the school website. So I went to CSUF, uh, Fullerton.com, and then I looked at the university scholarships and just read through all of the the PDF and I listed all the ones that I was um, eligible for, um, or even maybe even the ones that maybe I wasn't that eligible for, um, and still wrote it down. Wrote down how much it was. Wrote down when it was due, so it would be on my list. Um, and then I went into the department fellow, the department for bio, and I looked at um, the specific department scholarships. And basically the same thing, I wrote down how much it was, um, when it was due, and then made sure I was eligible for it. And then I basically, <laughs> I basically Googled like marine science scholarships um, and just went through like so many lists of what I could be eligible for. Um, and then again, wrote down how much it was and when it was due. Um, and then um, 
did like an upcoming scholarship deadlines. And then uh, for the month, I would just look at what I needed to do, see if I had enough time to apply for the scholarships and then kind of, yeah, just pulled from the list that I had created. <clears throat> and yeah, I feel like a lot of master's programs are really underfunded um, where the research that you're doing is really important too. Um, and PhD programs can be um, more, have more likely chances of being funded. So just kind of really being proactive about what you're eligible for, um, what you can get. And yeah, like it doesn't always have to be like, you know, the really big like fellowship, like those $500 scholarships, thousands, two thousands, like they all add up to like this big kind of like snow, snowballing effect of what you can get. And yeah, that, that's basically how I, how I made my list for funding. So you might not feel comfortable sharing numbers, but can you give us an, uh, an uh, what's the word, like um, an idea of like, did you double the funding that you lost? Did you triple the funding that you lost? Like what, like, what did you end up doing in terms of like the funding that you ended up gaining after losing the other scholarship and applying to a bunch of other opportunities? Yeah, so kind of like going off of the other question, like I've always kind of had like wanting to apply to scholarships and then with all of this like stress of like losing the $10,000 for the second year, um, I was like, okay, well now I need to make sure that I apply to every single thing that's on this list. Um, and so I ended up losing 10,000 and then um, from like those small grants that I was talking about earlier, I ended up getting about like 15,000. Um, so exceeding the 10,000 um, and then I was awarded the California Graduate Research Fellowship, um, which I had been wanting to apply to for like the last three years. Um, and then after not getting the NSF GRFP, um, I was like, well, this is, this is it. Like, I have to get this one. Um, and then I ended up getting it and that ended up increasing the 15,000 to um, 75,000. So I ended up um, getting seven times, seven and a half times more. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that should be the title of this episode, how Brandon went from losing 10k of funding to gaining 75k of funding, like, come on now, can I just like clap? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I went from like this kind of like really like big hole of being like, what am I going to do? Like, because I, I do DoorDash, like I'm off to DoorDash like every weekend or something like to make up for it. Um, but yeah, um, losing that big funding to being basically fully funded for the rest of my master's um, is a really big jump that I wasn't expecting to happen, but also made sure that I put myself in a position where I was um, competitive for these applications, where I really put in my time for it to make sure that I could get it. Um, and yeah. That's incredible. Do you think you did anything differently to help you start to get scholarships? Like, I know, for, like when when in my experience of like getting scholarships and fellowships, I noticed that like one, I treated it like a job, like a necessity, and two, it was just kind of like I used one application, then I started to reuse it, and then it just got easier each time, and it almost felt like once I got one, I it started to get easier to get more. I don't know what your experience has been, but I'm curious to hear what it's been like for you and and what changed or like anything that you want to like give us like advice or tips like clearly you're getting really good at this so <laughs> how um i would love for you to share the wealth <laughs> in terms of advice yeah so i think um really when you're if the scholarship requires like a statement really going into 
getting to know what the organization is and what they stand for um, and making sure that your statement aligns with the same mission. So like if they say they want to protect ecosystems across the coast or like coastal ecosystems, then you say like, and I'm committed to protecting coastal ecosystems. Um, so really like check off that box for them. Um, or when they say, oh, our fellows do this and this and this, like they're like inspirational or like they tell good stories or um, they um, change uh, ecosystems. So I'm gonna say that I'm gonna be uh, like communicate stories that will effectively um, relate to people to exchange ecosystems. Um, so really like kind of just using their words and adding your own twist to it to make sure that they're like, oh, like this is the candidate that we want. Um, like for the Sea Grant Fellowship, um, they basically had like four main goals with like sub goals. Um, so what I did was just copy and paste um, their goals and then make a comment of to like, okay, how can I directly address this goal? Um, and how can I address this sub goal? Um, even like, like I basically said that my research can have some aquaculture element, even though it maybe doesn't have an aquaculture element, but I can add it in to make it be more competitive to check off all of the boxes of the goals. Because um, for the Sea Grant Fellowship, I think you can you only have to check off one, but I made um, sure that there was a way that I could like basically check off most of them um, to really be like, oh, this is the candidate that we want. Um, and this is the project that we want to fund. Um, so really just aligning with what they want and say that you're the candidate that they want. <laughs> Those are really um, spot on like pointers there that you gave. Uh, it's, you know, um, I actually help people apply to fellowships, not only apply to grad school, but apply to fellowships too. And like the coaching that I offer, I've been doing that too. Like we're working with McNair scholars, being a grad mentor, like I've been doing that for a while. And one thing that I tell people to do is like print, you know, print out the prompt or copy paste the prompt into like a Google Doc and treat it like almost like a checklist, like whatever, you know, underline keywords or things like that, whatever it is that is their mission statement, whatever it is that they include in their prompt, like make sure that you are treating it like a checklist and like addressing every single thing that they're asking for. Um, because then that's going to make you uh, make a case for yourself of being a better fit. So it, it kind of aligns with what you're saying about like making sure that you use their language, making sure that you, you know, you know, whatever it is that they're interested in, that you're, what is it, you're matching your work, your background um, with what they want. So that's really good. Keep doing it. I feel like you've unlocked, <laughs> you've, you've unlocked the, the, the key or whatever you want to call it to, to getting funding. So that means now that you have that skill set, you're going to be able to get more and more and should you continue to you know continue with grad school or another program or whatever it is like and there are lots of grant opportunities you know professionally outside of grad school too i think you know it's going to carry you a long way um i want to ask if there's anything else you know in terms of words of advice that you want to share with other listeners you know folks who are you know low-income first-gen queer, underrepresented, like student of color, just who's interested in going into a master's program or is interested in STEM or who's just like, you know, curious about, about grad school or worried about funding, that's the thing holding them back or in a similar position, like 
they got into a program, don't have a lot of funding, have to figure it out on their own. Like what kind of advice would you give to a listener? Um, yeah, I think maybe like the most important advice was it, that I learned from using the funding is um, maybe even when it looks like you don't have allies close to you, like look for allies um, that can help you advocate for yourself and kind of like speak for you and say that you've been trying really hard um, to like be in the space of academia that we're not like allowed uh, allowed uh, to be in. And just being um, like believing in yourself to be like, I do belong here and I can do it. And I have um, a, a certain point of view that isn't represented among all of my white counterparts um, that is really important and deserves to be heard just as much if not more um, than the white counterparts. and really just kind of um, when that voice comes in, the, in your head, like, oh, I'm not good enough, like, oh, no, like, I am good enough because, like, I'm here and I'm trying. Um, and really, at the end of the day, it's advocating and trying your best to really make it. Um, we always talk about, like, the cycle of poverty that, like, first-gen and low-income students have. And, like, it's, like, it's a cycle of poverty and it's, like, hard to break sometimes. But, um, like, I'm not saying, like, motivation will, like, just um, break everything, but, um, having that um, belief that you can do it, it will give you some motivation to push forward. Um, but also um, kind of really, um, how, do I, how do I say this? Um, like kind of like also at the same time, like um, what I kind of learned was this like academic thing, um, us like marginalized students don't have to like, change everything or like put all of this extra weight that white counterparts aren't putting on themselves um like i know like i'm still like trying my best to like change things but i'm also not going to take on uh like like change the entire school um when it's like professors like the one that didn't give me the grade that i needed despite me meeting with him to tell him how stressed i was um, about losing this fellowship, which is like eight months of rent or like my car payments and all of this stuff um, about being stressed over it and really trying my best to keep this fellowship and him not helping me because he doesn't understand what it means to lose the fellowship. Um, like I, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know, to not get into it a lot. Um, but yeah, just really like advocate for yourself. Um, but also remember that like <laughs> these systems have been like upheld for such a long time. And like, it's really hard. It is hard. And these spaces were not built for us. And, you know, but we deserve if we want to, you know, we deserve to be there and we deserve to get an education and and, you know, to use it as a tool, as a tool for the next thing, you know, within academia, outside of academia, to kind of hopefully uplift yourself and others. Um, yeah, I, I'm wondering, um, I think, unless there's anything else that you want to give us a takeaway, if others resonated with you, if they, um, you know, want to be in touch and con connect with you in some way, how can they reach you? How can they kind of follow up and stay in touch? Um. Yeah, so um, I don't really use like 
of what I use like Instagram personally, but um, acad- like professionally, I use um, academic Twitter. And the- which I think you might come back to the podcast <laughs> again to do a whole a whole podcast on academic Twitter. Just so you all know, Brandon is 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 pretty good at, at, at Twitter. <laughs> from an older millennial perspective, from my old, from my old ass, <laughs> like Brandon, you kind of know what you're talking about. Anyway, sorry, we all want to see just connect with Brandon on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I haven't really been as active on Twitter, but yeah, I was showing Eva some of the ropes of how to um, become connected with other people on Twitter. Um, and my at is um, Brand Oyster, so Brand Oyster underscore, <laughs> so just like B R A N D A. D O Y S T E R underscore. Awesome. I'll add it to the show notes so that way they can yeah. see it. Yeah. Okay. And then um I think also like yeah, it was it like I don't know. Um I'm trying to think of like the takeaway and like trying to word it right. I think um one moment that I really want to share with um the everyone that's listening is it's not just like um oh lost the ten thousand dollars so like getting to seventy five thousand like it was such like a hard thing that I went through and I feel like probably the most stressed out that I've been throughout all of my graduate experience um and like I can share that um when I was trying to um really like talk about this with the chair of the department and with my advisor um together in the meeting um I like in the first five minutes of like the hour meeting like I was like literally crying of um just from like the peak stress of like okay this is the meeting that like is going to be pivotal to whether I get this or not and I literally broke down in tears telling them um like I like I don't know what this is gonna do um or what's gonna happen so it really like is what was a low point and and it really was like a struggle to get through this um but somehow (laughs) made it through um and I feel like there's a lot of low points that everyone else can um relate this to whether it's like being stressed about funding or getting into graduate school or just like finishing the graduate um but um like just kind of remembering that again these systems were built to work against you and just you trying your best is really all you can do at the end of the day um and there's always going to be something that you can do on the to-do list but um really protecting yourself at the end of the day i think the um priority and making sure that your mental health is in check that's wild like the irony is like going from like a really really low point to to being in a much much better spot in the aftermath Mm -hmm. um it's just like you never really know how you could potentially turn things around. Like sometimes something, one moment feels like it's the end of the world. And then you kind of somehow, like they say, like you just kind of like, you know, keep going, push through, get support and, um, and turn things around. And, and you're taking your, um, you're taking care of yourself along the way. También. So um, I appreciate you sharing this message and being vulnerable and talking about um, a very difficult kind of circumstance and experience that you had and, and using it as, um, as, a, as a means of kind of, you know, 
sharing advice and uplifting others and you know hopefully someone will take a, get a takeaway from this and all of a sudden they're gonna apply to a bunch of scholarships and get funding <laughs> getting that motivation from you so yeah the money there like you just gotta that's go the thing <laughs> so that's okay so just one last thing before i let you go as someone who was formerly a scholarship advisor, there are a ton of scholarships and not all of them are university-based scholarships. There are nonprofits, there are individuals, there are companies, there's scholarships all over the place. The hardest part I think is not applying, it's finding the funding. Like I got a scholarship from a beauty website. Like I'm not even like into beauty stuff. And <laughs> I got a random scholarship, it was like $1,500 from you know sabbatical beauty like we applied as you know for support for funding for when we were working our, on our chicana mother work mm -hmm. anthology and i was like are they really gonna fund us like really like we hardly we don't even really use their stuff but we wrote a good essay and we got the funding so you just never know um and sometimes people say oh all the scholarships are for undergrads and that is not true there are scholarships for master students for phd students they're harder mm -hmm. to find but they're out there so i'm glad that you are reminding us all about that, that the money is out there. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, I follow like this account on Instagram. It's called like uh, Access Scholarships and they basically just like post about scholarships and I just like look through them to see, oh, am I eligible and can I add this to my list? Um, and yeah, sometimes like they are relevant and sometimes they're not, but like it's good to have it there to really remember. Um, like there's just like endless scholarships to apply to um, and just kind of um, like I know like not everyone can set aside the time to really apply for them um, but like just trying because after like a couple of scholarships you might get some you might not but um, just like that you're trying to get the funding and can use previous material and then it gets easier and then you do get a couple um, is kind of the important part. I'm gonna link that. I was just taking notes to um, that. You said add access scholarships on IG? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna link that too. So that folks are curious and wanna check it out, they can do that too. All right, Brandon. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing space with me and for sharing your words of wisdom and your experience. Um, it was really nice to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and hopefully some someone can learn something from this. Oh, sure. Okay, thank you. All right, everyone, I have another podcast postscript. Um, something that came up in our conversation over email is that Brandon mentioned to me that he actually won a poster award and a presentation award for the same poster and presentation that the professor gave him a low grade on. This was the low grade that was. Um, the reason why he lost that $10,000 scholarship to begin with. So his scholarship was contingent on the final grade he received in this class. And that final grade was also kind of contingent on this poster and presentation. And so um, this is what he shared with me, which to me indicates that it, you know, the way that you evaluate something is very subjective. Um, there is no um, verification that he was graded fairly um, or that his situation was a just situation. 
but he did his best and he um, worked around this very, very difficult situation of losing his um, a substantial amount of grad funding and he turned it around and was granted that plus much more. Another thing that he wanted me to include as a final, final takeaway in this postscript was, and this is his words, quote, that incidents like these can add on even more to the very prominent imposter syndrome that marginalized students already feel. And it is on the professor to treat every student with equal respect and do their best to prevent implicit bias. Those are his lines and his final thoughts on the topic. And I wanna leave you with that. So I hope that you found this episode useful and I will talk to you all next time. Thank you so much for joining me in the Grad School Femme Drawing Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or email me your review at gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com. You can also show your support by going to gradschoolfemtouring.com and joining my mailing list where you'll receive weekly tips, podcast and blog updates, as well as discounts for my digital downloads, online courses, and much more. One last thing, don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Until next time.